0: For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive.
2: That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Kevin Green. He is vice president and co-owner of the Cleveland School of Cannabis. We're going to talk to them about what they're doing to help drive the cannabis industry by providing highly educated, experienced folks. Uh, I think most people in cannabis know that one of the huge bottlenecks right now in the growth of the cannabis industry is talent uh, and making sure that we've got people at all levels in all areas of the cannabis industry. There's a dearth of 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 many, many areas, many, many folks and different kind of skill sets and different capabilities. So excited to talk to Kevin on how they've approached this, how the business has grown and where they're planning on taking it. So with that, Kevin, welcome to the program. I uh, appreciate it. Thanks
3: so much for being here. Looking yeah, forward it's to a pleasure.
2: This. So before we kind of dig into what you're doing with uh, with the school, give us a little background how, what, professionally. What were you doing before this? How did cannabis come up? Give
3: us a little of the backstory. Yeah, man. So really, cannabis came from left field for me or my perspective. My background, I, um, I've been an entrepreneur, I always say all my life, but official LLC and documents and all that, I've been an entrepreneur running my own businesses uh, for the last 11 years. My background has always been in marketing, communications, public relations, uh, community engagement, and I do a lot of work in the diversity, equity, and inclusive space. Um, I currently run a marketing, advertising, and, and uh, staff training firm that's celebrating um, a decade this year. And within that work, I have been highly tied into a lot of private public partnerships. I've worked a lot in uh, with municipalities. I have a lot of clients that are municipalities, counties, nonprofit organization, large corporations, um, and a ton of small businesses on every ha- aspect of it from hospitality, direct services. You know, I remember we always laugh about one time we had to market an event with uh, camel's milk. <laughs> um, so I've, I've done, I've done quite a lot, right? Um, I love it. Yeah, it's always been in that world, and cannabis is something that I've taken parts in as a user. I've always had my own anecdotal understanding of what I felt it did for me, but as many, I was ignorant to really the power of cannabis and truthfully what this plant was really truthfully all about, and even and then on top of it, the actual the breadth of the industry in itself. I never did any research, right? Yeah. My business partner now, and there's three of us uh, that own the school and operated. We met on uh, visiting uh, because we vacationed um, in some of the same areas in Dominican Republic. And Mm -hmm. we met because of our contact out there um, was always telling us about each other. Right. So it just happened to be one trip that we were going down at the same time to handle some business. And uh, we actually got a chance to meet on the plane and we pretty much vacationed uh, for that week together, hung out a little bit. At our last dinner, the last night, he brought up the fact that what he was uh, starting to work on was creating this cannabis school from his experience of not being able to find quality workforce. When he dipped, he, he got into some licensees in California, I um, mean, the stress that he was dealing with validating anyone's real uh, level of technical skills or education in the industry and the plant sciences overall from cultivation to processing and all that type of stuff.
2: Yeah. And I guess what inspired you? I mean, like, what was the real kind of motivation to do this? What was the impact you opened up?
3: So I would say uh, three pillars to our motivation, truthfully, our success is first, that this industry um, is growing and growing fast. So there was going to be a major need for a qualified workforce, right? That's the thing, right? So we knew that. Uh, the second pillar was the fact that as the uh, cannabis moved east, there was going to be a lack of knowledge because everybody went west to cultivate their knowledge, right? Because, you know, everything east, midwest and all that wasn't a place that was conducive or supportive of the cannabis industry at all. So... People weren't, the the holders of knowledge weren't here. So we said what we needed to do was how do we create um, a bridge for individuals that want to get into the cannabis industry, whether regardless of their current knowledge base, how do we provide them an access to that? And education was that next pillar, right? And then our third was really looking at what was going to go ahead and be a program that was going to be conducive to the success of individuals getting in the industry as fast as possible but being prepared for that and what we were seeing in the industry at that point where there were a lot of weekend classes or a one week class and then saying hey you're ready for this industry and then also at that point there wasn't much of our higher, there wasn't really of any of our higher educational traditional institutions in the game but mm-hmm. we also looked at that the fact that we don't believe a four year school is conducive to someone getting in the industry that's moving So fast. If you wait four or five years to get in the industry, you're what we've seen, you're gonna be working for our current graduates. So (laughs) that's where we develop our 12-week program over 150 clock hours, max, we have a 300 clock hour program that gets people in the industry fast, but also gives them the, the adequate baseline education they need to actually be successful and then take advantage of the upward mobility. So that's what we saw in the marketplace. Um, and that's what that was the gap that we wanted to fill. On top of that, taking some of the nod from traditional educational institutions in the sense of a state approval and most uh, recently going after national accreditation.
2: Yeah. yeah. And what was the landscape like? I mean, who is providing kind of cannabis educational solutions in different ways? Like, how how did you kind of look at the market and where did you see kind of the current offerings and, and how did that
3: lay out? So in the first five years, it was all about the three pillars to the industry. Cultivation, processing or manufacturing, depending on the state you are in. So for anybody that's extractions, that's all your edibles, your topicals, that's where all that stuff is made, right? Anything outside of basically the raw flour. Um, And then third is the dispensary operations, right? That's where the consumer intersects with the actual product
1: um, Mm -hmm. in
3: itself, right? So that's where we started first, understanding that that's what needed to be the baseline of the industry and where the growth would happen from that point. And we offer all of those three first, and then we added hemp. And CBD, obviously, we knew that market blew up in the last three years after Farm Bill 28, right? Everything took yeah. off greatly with, you know, where you barely even heard about hemp and now you can walk into any basically store and they're selling some type of product with some type of hemp-derived product in there, right? Um, but till now where the industry is becoming more involved in a sense of the sciences, so we have a medical application of cannabis course where we get in really to the uh, uh, the research side of it, the endocannabinoids, some research side of it and understanding that. And what we're seeing is uh, kind of the evolution. Right now, I think food and beverage, um is the biggest marketplace that's going to expand because now we're starting to look at how do we basically i always say substitute alcohol for cannabis and those interactions right which is huge in the food and beverage um industry in America.
2: Yeah. And so how did you get, how do you get this thing going? What's been kind of the development process? What have been some of the challenges? Give us a sense of the path you've been on.
3: Gotcha. So I'll start with uh, challenges first. I think the biggest challenge that we dealt with was validating cannabis education. The way that we've done that is first, we went after a state approval. So right now we're governed by the Ohio Board of Career Schools and Colleges. Uh, that oversees all career schools in the state of Ohio uh, within that situation. So we wanted a standard of operations, right? We wanted a governing body that would oversee and validate what we're doing. So that was the first step that we took. We're one of two in the entire country to hold that, to show in a sense of cannabis education companies going after that, right? There's a lot of competitors in the space, but they won't take that boat because you have a governing body that oversees everything you do, who you hire, who teaches classes, how you document the student life cycle, the rights to the student, all those types of things things where we are overseeing our job placement rates, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Making sure that we're actually putting people in in jobs and doing what we say that we're doing in the sense of how we market and promote our products. So that we're all audited by every single year. I was actually just looking at our jobs report from this quarter. In the sense of that, and the barrier is 60%. That's the minimum that they want you to be at. We always average around 65%, tops out at 70. You know, but 60-70% is where they want you to be. And uh, you have to be very, very focused in that, yeah. and deliver your product with a, a sense of integrity to be able to accomplish those goals, right? So that was uh, the biggest challenge getting over those humps and lining up with that. But we took that challenge on because we knew we wanted to set a certain standard and we wanted people to start to respect cannabis um, at a higher level. That's the biggest thing that we're fighting in the marketplace is the propaganda and the miseducation of cannabis. So it's not that we're just trying to educate people. We're trying to re-educate people in a sense of what they actually feel that they, they currently know about <laughs> yeah. cannabis, right? And that is the biggest hurdle that we're fighting in it. Um, the second biggest hurdle is that within the fact of the lack of education in the industry and the propaganda we're still fighting the fact that we're not federally legal. Within that, there's a lot of situations that are difficult, right? So we don't have sure. proper access to banking like any other industry does, which we should, oh, especially so tragic, especially for us because we actually don't make any money for the sale or consumption of cannabis. Yeah, we're strictly yeah. education, and we still fall on those rules because we're bundled in. Uh, to yeah. the fact that we're a cannabis. When you're business. creating,
2: you're helping create jobs. I mean <laughs> that's exactly, like, right? Just so backwards.
3: Jobs, uh, taxes, all of yeah. it. we We play our part, but we don't we don't see the full benefit uh, from us being in compliance with all those other parts other industries that have. So those are probably the two biggest things. And I think the third thing is individuals that have sought out cannabis knowledge that have maybe done some things on the illegal market in the cannabis industry. Yeah. Um, Transitioning them to the uh, the legal market. Right. I call the green market because uh, processes, operations are done differently. But also, you know, if you were, say, a cultivator um, and you were doing things in the illegal market, um, now you're going to be moving into what? A 30,000, 40,000 square foot facility uh, yeah. medical grade where you're basically your food is tested at a, uh, your uh, cannabis product is tested at a higher level than our food is by parts million. Um, Mm -hmm. You're looking at a whole different situation where one little mess up, maybe, you know, heard a a little bit of your stock, you know, one mess up in a a major cultivation facility, you're talking about millions and millions of dollars, Mm -hmm. right, Um, within that situation, right? And you're also talking about affecting an entire supply chain, because the licenses are limited. In most states, yeah. right? There's only one or few states that actually have unlimited licenses. So, you, you know, a facility goes down or a facility, you will literally mess up the supply chain where we are currently in the industry. So how to transition those folks into the uh, legal market, not only in a sense of their processes, but around the culture that they've been in, right? Cannabis has gone mainstream and cannabis is going corporate, right? We all have our perspective on what's good and bad about that, uh-huh. but it's here that's our reality. So we can't dodge our reality regardless of our perspective. We have to be able to navigate that and still find success.
2: Yeah. So are you specifically focused on, or, or do you bring in students that have criminal records and help them with the process of getting jobs? Or how, how are you dealing with kind of the the legacy market and, you know, folks that, you know, unfortunately did kind of suffer from the war, war, war on drugs and, you know, convictions and things like that?
3: So from our standpoint, all is welcome because we want to provide education to individuals. What we're battling yeah. is still these are archaic and unjust, inequitable laws that don't allow a person that has had a Mm cannabis-specific conviction to be able to take full part. Like right now, in a lot of states, if you have any type of felony conviction, you can't take part in the legal cannabis market. So we've provided a lot of access to individuals to be able to take advantage of the hemp market because those same rules don't apply to the hemp market because it is federally legal per Farm Bill 28. So that has been the way that we've been able to navigate that. Obviously, we're doing everything that we can to support initiatives and organizations that are out there that are working on expungement and moving forward and adjusting some of those situations yeah. and working with licensees in the sense of how do we go ahead and position people uh, that have had direct disenfranchisement to the uh, uh, to the uh, uh, war on drugs and the uh, the illegal cannabis market. And, you know, we know education is key. Um, things are going to continue to change. And what we tell everybody is don't wait. For things to change, prepare yourself for those opportunities, because when they do come, you want to be able to take advantage of them immediately and not now start to prepare yourself. Right. It's frustrating. At the same time, we have to take that process of being prepared for the opportunity. So you're ready to be at bat and not have to now warm up. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors.
2: And now back to our program. Where are you getting most of your students and and where are you doing most of your placements? How How does the sort of geographic market look like on each side of kind of the business model you're in?
3: So I would say our success is, and I know I talked about some of our struggles, our success, our big success is really a job in placement, right? We've graduated over 650 students over five years, um, and we've been able to place over almost 70% of those students, right? A majority of our placements are happening in Ohio. Since we are brick and mortar based in Ohio, we have a full online program that touches about 17 states right now and counting. That's the last report I did, but I know that we're probably over 20 states. So we do place people nationally as well, because we have what they call MSOs, multi state operators, where they might be based with us here in Ohio, but they have other holdings across the country, which allows our students to really gain access to the national industry um, in itself. And we continue to grow our partnerships uh, nationally as well. So we have a real stronghold in the Midwest. Do the fact obviously of our physical geographic location, mm-hmm. uh, and as we continue to work, we are working on our national growth. Uh, right now, that's pretty much the uh, next two year, two to three year plan is all about national growth. As we continue to normalize cannabis and we get closer to this uh, federal legalization.
2: Yeah, yeah, uh, you excited about New Jersey and New York going uh, going wreck
3: Yeah, very very excited. I grew up in New Jersey, actually, right outside the New York area. So I grew up ten yeah. minutes from uh, Manhattan. So being a native from that area, very very excited. About that um, in itself, truthfully, for us, we are working on a, a huge partnership right now with Senator James Sanders, uh, Democrat from Queens, on a uh, educational initiative where we are educating seventy-five people for free, sponsored by the Cleveland School of Cannabis Cannabis Hub, our extension program, and uh, Senator James Sanders, where we're giving them um, three different educational tracks, horticulture, extraction, infusion, and dispensary operations. We're giving them eight hours worth of content over eight weeks with some supplemental content as well, pre-recorded to focus on a sense of how do we help prepare New Yorkers for the recreational market that we'll just see some um, guidance in the sense of the state laws coming out in the next couple months for that and as they adapt to that. So very, very excited there. And we are trying to be one of the stakeholders in education there um, in New York. And that's kicked off uh, that program. and just launched, so we're doing um, enrollment for that right now and that program will start in October Um, Mm -hmm. and then working closely with some players in New Jersey right now is New Jersey again oh finalizes their <laughs> process. Uh, New Jersey's going through it right now. Hopefully, it's been, hopefully. what, two years? I know people that are still waiting on their medical license, determination oh, from 2018. So yeah. it's uh, quite interesting. So we're just preparing ourselves and positioning ourselves properly as those things go to make sure that, again, individuals in that state are able to take advantage of the industry. And that's really, that's going to make the most economic impact if you have individuals from those communities working, yep. starting businesses and spending their money within those neighborhoods, investing in those neighborhoods that they reside in is going to really see the benefit we don't want too many transplants coming in because they won't be fully vested to the neighborhoods that are actually that should be directly impacted by the growth of the cannabis industry
2: yeah yeah well said and how are you uh navigating kind of the state by state differences right so each state has you know its own regulatory framework its own licensing framework you know from an educational point of view how do you deal with the kind of variability that is happening across the us
3: oh man it is the toughest thing right because it's it's constantly evolving and changing so that's probably the first statement that we say, hey, this is an evolving thing every day. So even us from a curriculum development standpoint, one, we have a curriculum development team that meets every every quarter we update our curriculum because of that first yeah. thing right second you know sometimes especially in law and policy classes sometimes you know you're doing that right mid-class because a law could change today but the slide deck says something else right so yeah. uh, we preface that immediately let people know look you have to be willing to be adaptable and understand what is happening now is not going to be how it's happening tomorrow um, it's just the industry that we're in so it's the first thing in this industry that people need is flexibility um, and adaptability in their, their process and not lock themselves into silos of thinking that it's always going to be this way because that's just not the realities. The second of that is relationships, right? Relationships are key in the sense of your growth, but relationships are key in a sense of insight. Um, the relationships that we have within the industry allows us to navigate that a bit easier because we have relationships on all sides, right? So we have direct partnerships with licensees and the top licensees in the country. So we understand kind of we get that insight from them to say, hey, where is the industry going? Where is that going um, in itself? Right. We have a large uh, student base and student population, which are also the consumer population of it. So we also are able to track and see kind of what's going on with the consumer market. And then obviously our governmental partners, in a sense of what we're doing there, in a sense, because uh, we uh, train um, and educate some governmental entities that oversee the cannabis industry in the state of Florida. We actually deal with the Florida Department of Health and train their medical marijuana board um and all the uh, people in that department that oversee and regulate the cannabis industry there in florida and then working obviously with state legislators etc staying close to that beat the drum is how we're navigating it but we're just, we're subjected just like everybody else. You know, we can make a complete investment, say, hey, this is what they said, this is what we're feeling. Then tomorrow's like, bam, no, this is what is, isn't. We have to make shifts. So as an organizational culturally, adaptability is our biggest strength and one of our, another big success. So not only being able to get people in the industry, I think the reason why we're successful of that is because we adapt, right? So I think our counterparts and our our peers in traditional higher education, that's where uh, will be the most difficult for them is to be able to adapt for your institutional institutions. It's very hard. Hard to adapt very very quickly because there's uh, so many different processes that it takes to make changes. So, we pride ourselves on adaptability and being able to make those shifts properly effectively and being able to, you know, be in line with where things are going.
2: Yeah. And where's the demand these days? I mean, I, I know kind of as the, as the industry has evolved and grown and matured, you know, some of these things have switched or, or the kind of the, the bottlenecks have, have migrated. But what have you noticed over time in terms of kind of the skill sets, the experience levels that are most demand, what parts of the industry? Give us a little insight.
3: So truthfully, all levels are still in high demand, <laughs> right? Because everybody wants grown, everything. Right? So we, <laughs> yeah. the thing in this industry, we still don't really know where the cap is because we haven't reached it. We're just estimating, right? Every single estimation that they put from dollars, jobs, everything has been crushed, right? We crush it every single time because you know it just grows, right? And the one thing with cannabis is that as an entrepreneur, right, if I do my math and I look at the industry and I do an analysis, the marketplace for cannabis was already there, right? It's not like we're creating a marketplace, right? We're just feeding it, right? A hungry marketplace. So it's a great thing to get into. What I believe is the growth and where the biggest demand from my perspective is the processing, the extraction side, right? Because that's where people, if we just think about five years ago, people weren't taking edibles as much as they do now, right? It's blown up because people are finding new ways to interact with cannabis because truthfully, majority of this time, all we really had was flour, now people are seeing all of these applications that they've never noticed before like you go to California like you can buy tea bags infused with cannabis. Yeah. You can buy yeah. mints <laughs> infused with cannabis, right? So the applications are vast and that's why that is the fastest growing sector is because people are like, "Whoa, I could take a mint yeah. And get my get my uh, my my cannabinoids, you know, that that's just very different compared to literally just five, six, seven years ago yeah. um, where we weren't seeing these types of things. So that's the biggest side of it. But also and when I talk, to, you know, when you think about food and beverage, as we continue to normalize cannabis in our culture, just like right now, I can go to Disney World and go buy a beer with my kid. All right. Yep. I can get a beer at Disney World. Why can't I go ahead and get an infused cocktail, cannabis cocktail? at Disney World with my kid in a couple of years.
2: Yeah, I'm really curious and, and you know, personally somewhat excited about the whole consumption lounge movement here. How do you see that playing into your curriculum or, or how you sort of see the talent demands changing in the industry?
3: Oh uh, man, one, I think it's gonna allow so many people, which is one of our largest uh, job industries, is hospitality, right? Food and beverage hospitality, right? And that entire supply chain, right? Let's not just, we, a lot of times we get lost in the frontline workers, the ones that we see, Right. But Mm -hmm. the one thing that we knew through the pandemic was our food supply chain was messed up about because it was the people that we don't see that we forget about that are so important to that. Right. So the entire supply chain is going to have a pot of individuals that can transition themselves into the industry. So you're going to have working knowledge that is viable now. Right. Just logistics is a huge thing as we go federal. Right. Because right now everything has to be grown state in the state, produced in the state, sold in the state. Right. Yeah. As we move to a national industry, you're going to be thinking about, well, if I cultivate it here, I can move it here, I can process it here, I can do it here, I can have it in a plate here, right, by Monday, you know, et cetera, right? There's people that understand that science at a high level. I don't care what the product is. They know how to do that. So it's going to be a great opportunity for people to translate their current skill sets. Also, the second side of it, it is the biggest area where I think we're going to be able to see equity, where there's lower barriers to entry that will allow the everyday person and especially disenfranchised populations, black and brown disenfranchised populations and poor populations around the country that have been disenfranchised by the war on drugs. It's going to give them more opportunities to get into the industry with lower barrier to entry. And truthfully, do some of the things where we think about hospitality, the food and beverage industry, and we think about BIPOC and uh, and diverse communities. That is where industry wise, diverse communities are some of the strongest is in food and beverage and hospitality. So if they now have a new source of income and revenue stream by being in the cannabis industry, it creates more opportunity for wealth.
2: Yeah. Yep. And where where are you getting most of your candidates most, most of your students? I mean what what areas kind of you know, ages, segments, you know, is there any, any patterns that you see and what do they want? What are they looking for? Why are they seeking you? And what are they looking to get out of cannabis?
3: So the first is definitely the Midwest, right? That's going to be our stronghold or the Cleveland school of cannabis, right? So that's going to lead to it for sure. And then obviously with a a big, a big number coming out of Ohio in itself, age range is crazy. 18 to 70. It's nutty. (laughs) Um, When we first started, we were seeing the higher end of that, Age group at first. Now we've started to see which we expected to start we're starting to see the younger demographic, because what you see at first was when the industry first started, people had to be in a certain position, one, to be able to afford, take the time to transition themselves. So a lot of people are saying, hey, I want to transition my career. Right. So you, a lot a majority of our students at that point was like 30 to 40. right? Uh, you know, they're cannabis friendly. They know some stuff. Cultures change for them. They're like, I'm not, you know, I'm gonna, I'm like kind of that still I just finished the first quarter of my career type thing and I want to make a change right now. I'm looking for a different work life balance, a different type of culture, right? Yep. And then higher up we're looking for individuals that were on the sec the last tier of their career. Like, look, I've been in this fight for fifty years. I'm trying to end off what I started, what we started years ago, right? So we're seeing a lot of people that were able to capstone their career by transitioning the last part of their career. Um, what we're seeing now as a cannabis industry growing, when you think about the traditional college age student, they might want to be in the industry. But the person that's normally paying the bill is a parent. Right. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. it took time. The, dec- the real decision maker. That's the real decision maker. Right. So there's two demographics within that market. Right. Is the student traditional student, But truthfully, you have to convince their parents that this is a good investment. What has happened over the last five years is that the industry is actualizing show that it's a great return on investment for a career. Right? Mm-hmm. One, job growth. Two, revenue has continued to grow. Yep. Also, third, it became an essential business through the pandemic. And it grew through the pandemic when we saw traditional industries that we thought couldn't be affected change forever. So that all showed parents who are making that financial investment and investment for their uh, young adult to say this is a good place to go. And also the normalization of cannabis. Right, In the last five years, again, everything has changed. You're seeing, again, you could walk into Walgreens right now. There's going to be a huge cannabis leaf on the side of a a lotion bottle. And it's going to be in your face where just years ago you would not see that. Right. So it's being normalized in our society, which allows parents to say this is a real opportunity. Right. So those things are coming actual, which is why you're seeing the demographic change in the sense of the individuals getting it's it's leaning it's skewing uh, younger because people are now choosing that earlier than tr- transitioning.
2: And where um, I guess, what are your graduation rates like at this point? Number of people you've put into industry, where are they going, and, and what's your plan over the next couple of years in terms of people that you hope to be you know training and placing into jobs?
3: Yeah, so like I said we 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 really rarely fall under that sixty percent. Um, and again, you, you every year you have to kind of Wait for everybody to graduate and get placed, but we we stay hovering right around there. Our minimum is 60%. We normally average around every year about 65% in terms of our job placement rates. For us, Mm -hmm. it's only really going up. We're going to have more educational offerings, uh, more ways for people to get access to education, less barriers to entry um, in an industry that's growing consistently. Um, And for us, the reason why people seek us out is because we do everything that we can to provide the top program in the sense of cannabis education and the most robust program. I said our minimum program is 150 clock hours. So this is not a weekend program. This is not a couple hours. You're taking an educational track. You're taking six classes, and each class is 25 hours. Um, our top program is our executive program, which is 300 clock hours. If we think about that in relation to an, uh, an associate's degree, that's one third of an associate's. An associate's degree is 900 clock hours. So understanding the level of education that you're getting out here, also our commitment to you in the sense of job placement. We have an entire career service department, so we're not just saying in our branding, hey, this education is going to help you get a job. We are actively pursuing relationships for you and working with you in your professional development to acquire these positions every single day. We have an entire department dedicated solely to career services that gets introduced to our students upon enrollment. Yeah. So we start the process early. We don't wait, like most of us that have gone to traditional education, didn't even know about the career services department, <laughs> yeah, didn't exactly. even know it existed. And Until
2: you're, you're just a couple of days from graduation, you're like, oh my gosh, I need a job.
3: <laughs> exactly, right? So we start that in our culture early. They're a part of orientation. To know that this is a part of your process. Um, And we do personal development work with them as well because it's not just about your cannabis knowledge. It's about being ready to take advantage of these opportunities uh, from your technical skills, but also your professional development, right? Because, again, cannabis is moving and shifting into a corporate space, so there's different expectations than they were in the illicit market.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And how, I guess, how are you developing your industry relationships and how is that kind of evolving? You know, all the, you know, we've got new markets opening up, you know, there's mergers, acquisitions, right? There's a lot of shift. How, how do you kind of stay abreast and keep your relationships fresh in terms of, you know, the companies that are actually doing business in the cannabis space?
3: So I think the first is what we've done in the industry, right? If you Google the top 10 MSOs in cannabis, they work with us, right? Who are they also the top 10 that are eating up a lot of these acquisitions, right? Yeah. Um, it's all about making sure that our grads are the best in the field. That is what is gonna continue to make us successful, right? We could say anything we want on a brochure, right? We can enroll as many students as we want. But truthfully, our value comes in is when our grads do what they do in the industry. That is what is making Cleveland School of Cannabis and all of our entities successful. Um, and I always say our goal is not enrollment. Our goal is successful alumni in the industry because when it looks down, to an organization say, and I've had this conversation with top individuals and organizations. When they take an assessment of where their best uh, new hires are coming from, where people are moving up in their company fastest and are coming in with the best knowledge, they're coming from our program. And that is what is going to continue to be the driving factor in our success is not what we do on the front end, right? It's what happens in the preparedness that we have and what our graduates do. And uh, we're really sticking to that and making sure that we put our value in the student and making sure that they're ready to be successful because their success really is, is our success. And that's big, big in the sense of what we do. And truthfully, continuing to push for higher standards, right? That's also what's going to push. Again, we are now a candidate with Middle States Association for National Accreditation, which means We will hold the same national accreditation as all your top universities in the country, but we will solely be the only education company in school focused on cannabis education solely that will hold national accreditation in the world. So understanding that we are stepping in line with our traditional institutions, but we're paving our new way in a sense of something that's never been done. So we want high standards, but we don't want the handcuffs of traditional education. And that's why we're doing it in our way.
2: Yeah, yeah. Great work. Kevin, if people want to find out more about you, more about Cleveland School of Cannabis, what's the best way to get that information?
3: Uh, Yeah, uh, Bruce, the best way is Google us anywhere, obviously, Cleveland School of Cannabis. You can always go directly to our website at csceducation.com. That's csceducation.com. You can find us on all social media platforms as well at Cleveland School of Cannabis or on all social media networks. So please, I, I always urge everyone. We're here to be a resource with you, whether you become a part of the CSC family or not contact with us, ask us questions. We're going to provide any guidance and support that we can for you through your process. We have enough historical data and time in the industry now and seeing where someone wanted to be and what they needed to do to get there, but also giving you realizations of how this stuff actualizes. I'll tell you this, the biggest thing that people have seen is everybody at first wants to grow cannabis until they figure out the work that it takes to being (laughs) agriculture. (laughs) Agriculture is not easy all right and this type of agriculture is not easy because you're dealing with again high grade medical product and high new systems, technology, everything, right? So it is not easy, right? It's definitely somewhat a labor of love at times. Uh, so yeah. we, we do our best to have those critical conversations provide that guidance for you so you make the best decisions and get the best return on investment for, uh, for yourself in the sense of where you want to be career-wise. So we're here, we're open, and um, we're just excited to continue to build relationships on all layers of the industry and continues to be uh, stakeholders of the industry. But truthfully, for me, uh, the biggest return on investment is creating the new stakeholders and shareholders in the industry. Uh, is probably the best return on investment is to see an individual a year ago, want to get in the industry, not know how, and now leading in the industry. It's just a powerful thing um, and it keeps you motivated.
2: Yeah. I will make sure all the links and everything in the show notes and highly encourage people to check it out. Kevin, you're doing great work and I really appreciate your time today.
3: Uh, Thank you, Bruce. I appreciate it. Thanks for being here and and, uh, looking forward to uh, talking again in the future.
2: That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time.
1: You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at ThinkingOutsideTheBud.com forward slash newsletter.
2: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.